welcome to Stat. I'm telling you all medical true crime stories, and it gets bizarre. Karen Wickham, yeah, she used to work in ER, and now she's sharing the knowledge. So let's get involved. Hey, funny and scary at the same time. Medical mysteries, all facts. She ain't lying. <laughs> so tune in to Stat if you dare, 'cause crazy things can happen anytime, anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Hello, 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 everybody out there in podcast land. Welcome to STAT, Shocking Traumas and Treatments. And I'm your host, Karen Wickiam, coming to you from beautiful, snowy Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Thank you for joining me here today. Today's episode is about Dr. Michael Swango. As you know, I have covered a few really despicable, horrible, disgusting doctors. Freeman, Shipman, Gosnell. There's something about this guy that really gets to me. Maybe it's because he was so persistent in continuing what he was doing. Maybe it's because the government, governments, wanted to sweep what he was doing under the rug and pass the buck onto somebody else. There's more than just one person to blame here. It seems that the Hippocratic Oath is nothing more than words on paper. It carries no meaning. This monster was thought to have killed over 60 people and poisoned many, many others that he was in contact with, family, co-workers, anyone that pissed him off. And as with many serial killers, the numbers are usually much, much higher. As I have said before, I believe nurses and doctors are the most dangerous killers. Michael Swango was born on October 21st, 1954 in Tacoma, Washington to Muriel and John Virgil Swango. He was the middle son of three boys and the child that Muriel unabashedly favored. She thought that Michael was a genius and could do no wrong. She was wrong on both parts. Although very smart, he was no genius, and wrong is what he really excelled at. Michael's father was a decorated military colonel and his mother a stay-at-home mom. The family moved around constantly because of Virgil's career. It was difficult for the family to put down any roots. Many people saw the Swangos as the perfect all-American family. Muriel was previously married and had a son named Robert, who lived with his father. The Swango boys lived in Quincy, Illinois, when they attended high school. While Michael's brothers went to a local high school, he went to a Catholic boys' school called Christian Brothers High School, starting 1968. The Swangos were not Catholic, but Michael was set there because he was considered a gifted student by his mother, and the Catholic school was academically superior compared to the public schools. Virgil Swango was a military veteran and strict disciplinarian, and liked the strong moral and ethical approach of the Catholic curriculum. Michael's older brother Bob was an anti-war activist, and Virgil despised that. It was a slap in the face to his military service and fundamental beliefs about war. Michael was oblivious to the social and political state of the country. While Bob listened to musicians like Bob Dylan, Michael's favorite band was the Carpenters. Michael was a perfectly behaved honor student all the way through high school. He took pre-college courses. One of them covered a subject that he became obsessed with, the Holocaust. He participated in a ton of extracurricular activities, track, students' council, yearbook, and the newspaper. Swango was not only an excellent student, he was a very talented musician. He played both piano and clarinet. His mother had a love for classical music, and Michael would spend evenings with her playing classical music for her. He was first chair clarinet in the school band, band president, and sang in the glee club. Although the Swangos didn't have a lot of money, Muriel bought Michael a very expensive Buffett clarinet, the one that most professional musicians use. 
This kind of money was never spent on the other children. When Michael graduated in 1972 from the Christian Brothers High School, he won Outstanding Musician, a citation as a National Merit Scholarship finalist, and class valedictorian. In his senior yearbook, he stated that his ambition was to be an Illinois State Trooper. Swango could have gone to any college or university, but he decided to attend a small private liberal arts school, Millican University in Decatur, Illinois, on a full music scholarship. After two years of excelling in school, he suddenly quit, dumped his girlfriend, started wearing fatigues, and painted his car camouflage green. He showed a sudden interest in guns and joined the military. During this time, he showed an increasing obsession in car crashes and stated he had an interest in becoming a doctor. Before going away to basic training, he isolated himself and never played an instrument again. Before we go into his military stint, I want to circle back and talk about his parents and childhood. There is much debate about nature versus nurture and the development of a serial killer or any other serious criminal, for that matter. Were they born that way, or did childhood trauma affect their behavior, or is it both? In my opinion, for what it's worth, in Swango's case, it was both. Michael's father, Virgil Swango, was a decorated military vet. He served in Korea and then Vietnam. By all accounts, he seemed to love serving overseas. He couldn't tolerate civilian life. He tried to work as a real estate agent and get into politics like his father, who was a very successful politician. But due to the political climate and negativity towards the Vietnam War, a democratic Vietnam vet was not well received. Failing at that, he dedicated his time to the American Legion, Veterans Affairs of Foreign Wars, and the Reserve Officer Association. His favorite pastime, though, was drinking at neighborhood bars. Virgil was an absentee father, and he spent little time with his family. They moved 16 times during his military career, and they lived all over the U.S., Virgil served in Vietnam War from 1968 to 1975. During that time, his family lived in Quincy, Illinois, where they eventually settled down. During those seven years, he visited the family once every six months, and by all accounts, couldn't wait to get back to Vietnam. He was not a family man. There is a photo of Virgil in Vietnam. In it, he was pictured smiling and relaxing in the sun with a drink in hand, stretched out on a lounge chair. In the middle of all that hell... He looked happy. Now, I got to thinking about some things. Is it possible that someone who loved the war so much was maybe disturbed himself? I think most of us have seen the horrors of hell through news and, and footage and, and documentaries and, and things like that. And by all accounts, the Vietnam War was horrific. I'm not going to say one of the worst ones because all war is horrible. But, you know to enjoy going back, spending seven years there, not wanting to be a part of the family, showing very little interest in his sons and, and things like that. And you'll see or you'll hear more of what I'm talking about. But maybe you can keep that in mind and tell me what you think. But I think his father shows a lot of signs of sociopath behavior. Now, I'm not um, negating PTSD and, and factors like that to come into it. But I think he showed signs early on. Tell me what you think. Life was very difficult for Muriel and their sons when Virgil was home. He enforced a strict disciplinary code. He was the officer and his boys were the privates. He would put them through maneuvers. Even at a young age, he trained them to march in formation, salute, and execute military commands. When company was over, he would make them perform these maneuvers in front of the visitors and then dismiss them. Virgil believed that the oldest son should be responsible for the younger siblings. 
If the younger boys misbehaved, Bob got the punishment, and Virgil usually left the punishment for Muriel to dish out. When Virgil did the punishment, it was corporal. Bob would get beaten with a belt, never Michael or John. But all the boys were afraid of their father. Virgil had a violent temper that became worse when he was drinking, which was pretty much all the time. When Virgil was away, Muriel almost never punished them. She didn't believe in it. Muriel wanted very much to be a good mother. She would read to the boys, help them with their homework, cook them nice meals, and try to maintain a sense of routine and normalcy. The one thing that stood out about Muriel, though, it was that she was emotionally distant and cold. She showed very little emotion and was not affectionate. There were no hugs or kisses or any other signs of motherly affection. The boys were clean and well-dressed and provided for, but they were left with an emotional void. Whenever there was a funeral or a particularly sad or happy event, she would not shed a tear. She would remain stoic. Christmas or birthday presents would never be wrapped. They would be simply put into paper bags and stapled shut, and there were no pets allowed. Muriel's upbringing was void of emotion. Her father, John Strubert, was a barber in Breeze, Illinois. They were of German background, and her father was a disciplinarian and very distant. He was cold and showed little emotion other than anger. Muriel's first marriage was to Richard Kirkering, and it failed. He was an alcoholic, but they had one child, Richard Jr. Richard Jr. chose to live with an alcoholic father, then with Virgil. Muriel first met Virgil at the end of World War II when he was home on leave. Muriel was quiet and attractive, and he was smitten with her. Virgil was serving in Korea and couldn't wait to get home to pursue Muriel. He had a girlfriend at the time, and he broke it off with her, and he was also married to a second wife who he asked for divorce, and she was devastated as it came out of nowhere. He then relentlessly pursued Muriel until he won her over. They got married in 1947. A few years later in 1950, he returned to Korea, and Bob was born while he was there. When he returned home, they all moved to Fort Lewis in Tacoma, Washington, and Michael was born in 1954. After that, they moved to Fort Richardson in Alaska, and this is where their youngest son, John, was born. Three years later, they moved back to Fort Benning. There was no outward affection between Virgil and Muriel, at least none that the children ever saw. Muriel and Virgil slept in separate twin beds. The only family trips they took were to see family members, and as per Michael, the trips were terrible. The parents sat in the front seat, chain-smoking in silence, in an unair conditioned car. While on the road, Virgil would bark orders at the boys, refusing to stop at tourist attractions and take bathroom breaks. They only happened when Virgil decided they would. In 1966, after 26 years, his career was coming to a close. He was transferred to San Francisco and was assigned a desk job that he hated. In 1967, he was promoted to full colonel and retired with a generous pension. The family moved back to Quincy. One of the most telling things is that no one who worked with Virgil knew that he had a family. And as for the family that no one knew about, they had grown tired of Virgil's militant running of the household. When the Swangos moved back to Quincy from San Francisco, the family structure had really fallen apart. Muriel stopped making family meals and spent most of her time out playing cards with her friends. Virgil spent the majority of his time out of the house drinking at local pubs. The boys were left to fend for themselves. When Muriel was home, she spent most of that time with Michael. And she did not hide the fact that he was her favorite. She would listen to him play the piano or clarinet. She would type out his homework and they would discuss mysteries and thrillers and true crime stories exhaustively. As early as sixth grade, Michael had read true crime magazines and comic books. Michael bought the National Enquirer 
and cut out any crime stories that he found. The gorier, the better. Muriel helped put the cutout stories into a scrapbook. Bob and John naturally felt left out, and they sought out family life through their friends. And Michael was happy to stay at home with his mother. When confronted by her blatant favoritism of Michael by her relatives, she would justify it by saying that Michael was smarter than the other sons. He was gifted and needed the extra attention. The family disagreed. Bob and John were equally as smart as Michael and deserved the same attention. Michael's aunts, Lois and Ruth, thought that he was rude and arrogant and being spoiled was all part of it. He wouldn't address family when they visited. He would choose to ignore them and stay in his room. When Michael rode off his car, he was not held responsible, and he did not have to do any chores like the other sons. Bob was eventually kicked out of the house when he was still in high school after an anti-war conversation he had with his father over the phone when Virgil was in Vietnam. The next day, Virgil flew 24 hours to go home to kick Bob out. He called him a commie fag, gave him $20, and said he had to get out the next morning. Virgil flew back to Vietnam the next day. Muriel didn't say anything to defend her son. After Virgil's retirement from the military, he worked for the State Department in Vietnam and helped coordinate an evacuation of the South Vietnamese. He tried to evacuate the woman he was living with, but was unable to. In 1975, Virgil retired from the State Department. When he returned home, he showed no interest in being a husband and father. By 1976, Muriel asked for a formal separation. Virgil moved into a mobile home that was reminiscent of his army barracks. Michael tried on numerous occasions to get his parents back together, but to no avail. Virgil spent the rest of his days chain-smoking, drinking, and reminiscing about Vietnam. He died of cirrhosis of the liver on January 29, 1982, by himself. Muriel knew about his illness, but did not tell her sons about his illness until the day before his death. After he died, Muriel went through Virgil's property. She found a scrapbook full of photographs from car crashes, disasters, and other violent deaths. And Muriel knew that Michael would want the scrapbook. He had an obsession with gory deaths since childhood. When he received the scrapbook, he was quoted as saying, I guess my dad wasn't such a bad guy after all. Okay, so I want to go back to when I was talking about Michael joining the Marine Corps in 1974. He graduated from recruit training, and in 1976, he received an honorable discharge. He was going back to school to become a doctor, and he did not serve any time overseas. It was during that time that Michael developed an obsession with punishing exercise. You'll hear more about this later. Michael returned to Quincy to attend Quincy College to earn a degree in chemistry and biology. For some reason, on his college application, he told them that he had earned a bronze star and purple heart while in the Marines. In his senior year at Quincy College, he elected to do his chemistry thesis on a bizarre poisoning death of Bulgarian writer Georgi Markov. Swengel developed an obsessive interest in poisons that could be used as silent killers. When Swango attended his first year of college, he was working for American Ambulance in Springfield, Ohio. He would commute from Quincy, he would commute from Quincy an hour away, probably because he needed his fix for violent death. The paramedics he had worked with said that, as much as he was a good paramedic, he was a creeping and unusual person. He continued to make scrapbooks and would cut out articles and paste them at work in between calls. When he was asked why he did it, he said, quote, If I'm ever accused of murder, the scrapbooks will prove I'm not mentally competent. This will be my defense. In 1979, he graduated summa cum laude from Quincy College, and he received an award for academic excellence from the American Chemical Society. In the 1980s, it was really difficult to get into medical school. And against all odds, 
Swangle got into SIU, Southern Illinois University. He started medical school that year. I think this is a good place to stop. I know this is a bit of a short episode, but I really wanted to get his background and family life in there and show that the behaviors from his family obviously affected how he was. A very militant absentee father who went around, was punishing and and brutal, and didn't care much for his family. How his father pursued his mother relentlessly, and then once he married her, it seemed that he got his conquest, and that was it. Muriel was cold and distant and clearly played favorites with Michael. The other boys were, were left out of the loop, and early on he felt that he was special, better than anybody else. So those are just some of my armchair psychologist views of early on Michael Swango and how it may have affected his future. Before I end today's show, I'd like to invite you to go join or check out the Facebook group. And you'd see that there's a lot of really cool and interesting people on there sharing their stories and a lot of fun, interesting posts as well. If you've listened to The Placebo Effect, you know that we will showcase some of the best posts that are on there. And if you feel up to it, if you could go over to iTunes and give me a rate and review, I would really appreciate that. And last but not least, I have a Patreon page. And if you can go check that out as well, you'll see that there's some really cool extras that you can get there, like bonus episodes, early access. You can find it under the name of Stat Shocking Traumas and Treatments. And all support is really helpful. And it doesn't have to be monetary. Just you guys coming on the Facebook page or even listening. Thank you so much. So remember to take care of yourselves, take care of one another, Love one another, and most importantly, love yourself. Peace. One love. True crime and it gets none realer. Sometimes it'll be the cure that'll kill you. Gotta watch out, yeah, you gotta watch your back. Cause you don't wanna be another episode on stat. Thank you for tuning in, learn a thing or two. These medical mysteries can be unbelievable, yeah. Subscribe, make sure you do that so you'll be tuned in and be ready for the next show. Stat.